this summer, it's all about three. Get three months summer subscription to Premier Christianity, the UK's leading Christian magazine. Three months of unlimited daily opinions and articles online. Three printed magazines delivered directly to your door. Three digital magazines on your device so you can read on the go. And all for just £5. That's right, just £5 for a three-month subscription only at premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. I've always loved to, in a weird way, dabble in the secular. I've always loved to try and be in a, be a way where I can be mainstream but bring light to the mainstream. The Profile with Premier Christianity magazine. Hello, you're listening to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio, where we sit down with a different Christian each and every week to find out more about their life story. And I'm delighted to say my guest this week is William Adiwasi. He is the founder of Vitae London, a watch and accessories brand that specialises in high quality watches at an affordable price. The company uses its profits to fund education for children in sub-Saharan Africa, and it's received endorsements from the likes of Richard Branson. Well, I'm really delighted to have the founder of that brand with us today here on the show. William, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sam. It's an honour. We always like to start at the beginning. So why don't you take me back to early life and your childhood? Where were you born and what was your upbringing like? Yeah, of course. So I was born in South London, um, born and raised in Camberwell, predominantly between Camberwell and Peckham. Um, I'm the firstborn of seven children. So, yeah, I come from a, a busy and thriving home, to say the least. Um, my, my dad's actually a... He's known as a bishop in the Pentecostal realm. So he runs, he runs. Uh, I think it's eight branches, eight churches in essence um, globally. Uh, my mum is, yeah, was well, still is a care worker. So, yeah, she helps especially with elderly people um, and elderly homes. And yeah, so yeah, that was my upbringing. Um, a very very busy and thriving home. Um, in yeah, in a in a city council estate. And then at the age of 11, um, I was awarded a scholarship to go to boarding school in the Midlands. So I ended up in an area that no one's ever heard of called Stourbridge in Dudley near Birmingham. Um, spent many formative years there from ages 11 to 16. And I think my time there shaped a lot of who I am today and why I do what I do. Um, I noticed some inequity when I was there. I remember going to play a game of rugby. We lost that game and a member of my team referred to the other team um, as council estate scum. And I think for me, that was the first time I realized that, yeah, there were in essence different levels in life and people looked down on others in a sense. Um, and it, it always kind of gave me a chip on my shoulder to want to level out the playing field. Um, so yeah, that's a bit about my, I guess, my upbringing, my life in my formative yeah. years. And one of seven, that sounds yeah. um, challenging. I've already got one brother, and I think that was hard <laughs> enough. Yeah, I've got five brothers and one sister. So, yeah, it, it, it's been hectic, to say the least. Wow. And happy happy family, happy memories of childhood? 100%. Um, yeah, childhood was great. I think we had parents that would shield us from the struggle that we were, in essence, surrounded by. Um, I think there's been a lot of work that's done to to help support in terms of how things are with, within the council estates in London. There's a lot more work to be done, but I think, yeah, Campbellwell, for instance, is completely transformed 
in comparison to what it was when I was younger. But yeah, when I was younger, it was a bit, it was a bit of a minefield. I remember being, I think I was 16 or 17, um, returned from boarding school. I was walking in the wrong territory. Knives were pulled out just to take my phone and just, yeah, encountering all those things and having to be street smart, savvy. I think those were the, I would say, negative, the only real negative elements of, of childhood. But aside from that, our parents really shielded us from from a lot of it. And they were very strict on us and really, really pushed on the importance of education to enable us to break the mould that we'd seen around us. And it's not always um, common to hear of people, as you say, grow up on, on council estates. It's rare for those same people to go to boarding schools. So how how was yeah. that able to to happen? Um, and was that something your other siblings were able to do as well? Or was it just you? It was it was just me because at the time there was a, a special scheme going on, and yeah, my dad was very very strict on education, so I would go to tutoring at least twice a week. Um, so yeah, I was always going to tutoring in in those evenings. Plus, yeah, when I was at home, there was hardly ever an idle moment. Um, he despised the television so he would always say to us why are you sitting there watching other people make money when you could be educating yourself Um, so yeah I I think through that yeah through his drive through his ambition for me and my reluctant hard work yeah I got the I got the scholarship into the boarding school and yeah it was an extreme eye-opener like at the at that age at age 11 all nine of us were in a yeah like a two-bedroom flat um at the point at that point like at times mice were coming in like it wasn't it wasn't the best experience in that in that way and then to go to this boarding school and to go to like your friend's house for the weekend and there's like eight bedrooms but there's only three of them and they've got all this land outside and yeah that was that was a massive eye-opener for me um and I think the beauty of boarding school is that it opened my eyes to the possibility and that the life I was living wasn't or the area I was from wasn't necessarily the only option in this world. Um, so yeah, it, it, I would say it definitely inspired me to dream big and to, to think bigger. And it sounds like your dad had a very clear vision, even in making that comment about why you're watching other people make money when you're, when you're watching TV. It sounds like he had a very clear vision that if he could give his kids a good education, it would enable you to break out of some of that that cycle of, of I don't know if you'd use this term but relative poverty I don't know if that's putting yeah. it too strongly but that was that was his vision for you was it that quite a clear vision for, for you and presumably his other kids as well yeah I think it was formed from his experiences so my mum was from a bit of a wealthier background so yeah my granddad on my mum's side was an entrepreneur built loads of different businesses did pretty well for himself had 24 children so yeah 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 so yeah my mom's one of 24 that's That's incredible I've got a lot of cousins um but yeah but my dad he came from a a slightly uh poorer background he he grew up in a village he had to go to local family and, and travel ages just to get the basics in order to go to school but I guess through him getting that education that broke the cycle of poverty in our family line that way and I think he just saw how powerful education was for him in breaking that poverty and wanting better for us and wanting us to push on and do more he always emphasized on the the importance of education so yeah he definitely did have a vision for us to to dream big and and do big things 
And you mentioned as well your dad uh, was a bishop. So I'm imagining that, that the Christian faith was playing a part in your childhood as well. Do you have memories of that? Yeah, 100%. Um, every day was in the church. Uh, if it wasn't for a prayer meeting or a choir rehearsal or whatever it may be, we, we were literally in the church pretty much most evenings. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it was definitely key to my formative years, um, my understanding of the world, my understanding of what is right, what is wrong. Um, yeah, it's, it's always it's always definitely been at my core. And how did you respond to that? Because for some people growing up in a, in a church background is great and they get introduced to faith and it kind of carries on throughout the rest of their life. But it's also quite common to speak to people who say, I was raised in a Christian background, but actually by the time I was at my teenage years, I was drifting away or I'd lost interest or I had questions that weren't answered. What was your experience as you grew up in a, in a Christian environment? Did that carry yeah. on or were there challenges? Um, yeah, there were definitely challenges. I'm, I'm someone who's very inquisitive as well. Um, I like to question everything. And yeah, I think even to this day, if I'm completely transparent, my, my faith goes in waves. Um, it's something I am, like, I can never deny God. I can never deny, I can never deny Jesus. It's, it's something I can never deny. Um, but yeah, there's always questions that come up every now and again. Um, yeah, things that I, yeah, I want to ponder on. But I think that is the beauty of faith. If you knew everything and understood everything, then it wouldn't take faith to believe. So yeah, growing up, I definitely went through phases of, yeah, trying to understand certain things. And even to this day, there's things I still question. But yeah, one thing I can never deny is God's impact in my life and just seeing his hand in my life day to day. So you told us a little bit about uh, boarding school and faith and these kind of formative experiences. Why don't you take us to the next bit of your your life, education, career? What happened next for you? So, yeah, so I went to boarding school, came back to London for college. Um, so, yeah, I was, was there for a couple of years. Then I went to university for one year. And then after a year of uni, I dropped out, um, which I'm sure... Yeah, you can understand would be 100% to my dad's dismay. Um, but yeah, I went to, to uni for a year and I was just too distracted by a business idea I had. And at, the t at that time, it was a sports academy. Um, I just saw that so many young people I'd grown up with had done various courses, whether it be during college or, or after college, you know, university. They had the qualifications to go in and teach and, and make an, an earning for themselves. But there weren't any opportunities. So I kind of marry that with seeing that schools could get funding um, for after school activities as the government had a bid called extended at the time to, to um, support and tackle childhood obesity rates in the UK. So I was able to use all these young people I knew were gifted, were talented, had the skills and abilities with these schools who could then draw funding to have these people run after school clubs for their young people. And yeah, we ran that business for three years. It was doing pretty well, um, got it to a six-figure revenue business. And then the government pulled that funding and our whole business models just didn't make sense anymore. Um, so yeah, after three years, unfortunately, we had to wind up that business. And I just took so many learnings from that um, that I knew I would one day use again for a business. Um, and at that point, I was around 21, 22. And I decided to go and work in the city. So I, I did several, two jobs. In, I was an insurance broker at first. Then I was a senior, senior recruitment consultant. Um, and during that time, I actually finished my degree part-time 
Um, so yeah, I was able to both please my African father, but also <laughs> um, also pursue my interest in in earning some money and and building my experience. Um, so yeah, I did that for a few years, and then at the age of twenty six is when I started Vitae London. Okay, so tell me back to that conversation then, when you you've had one year at uni. And presumably, what you you find your dad up, or you see him. How do you explain to this 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 father who, as you say, has invested so much in your education and believes in you, and wants the best for you, and thinks university that's going to really help William? How do you explain to him that after one year you're dropping out? What was that conversation like? If I'm completely honest, I didn't tell him at first. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> I I should have probably I should have probably admit that especially on Premier but um, I didn't I didn't tell him at first and I just wanted the fruit to speak louder than me saying that I've got this idea so I just put my head down and carried on working um, on the business and was able to show him how well we had done right so but the plan he, is the plan is I can't I can't tell dad I'm dropping out but I could tell dad I've dropped out but don't worry I've got this thriving business exactly yeah, exactly sense. exactly so I was building towards that um and then we had an honest chat and I think through that honest chat he just emphasized the beauty of a backup plan the beauty that education does pose um, when I finally did open up to him so that's what pushed me to finish my degree part-time when the business eventually wound up yeah. um but yeah it, it definitely was not an easy conversation <laughs> and the second extremely difficult conversation was telling them I was now quitting this really well-paid job in the city um to start a business in an, an industry I really had no experience in so we've had we've had tough conversations definitely I've been a bit of a problem child for him at times <laughs> it strikes me you had an enormous sense of of self-belief um to be in your early 20s and not just to drop out because of course dropping out of of university is uh, as, as you'll know better than me is kind of surprisingly common amongst entrepreneurs and business people who've gone on to build multi-million dollar business mm. i mean it's actually quite a common story isn't it when you, you talk to the really mm. famous kind of ceos and business people how many of them did but even so it must take an enormous amount of self-belief and courage at that you know very young age to say I'm going to go in a, in a different direction and, and take what to most people would look like a very big risk. Mm. It's weird. I think, I think I've always viewed risks in, in a different light. I think that's, that's the truth of it. Um, I always focus on the why not, as opposed to the, the focus on the fear um, or the focus on the fear of failure. Cause for me, if I drop out of uni to start this business and the business does really well, we're laughing we're celebrating for all the years to come if it does really poorly okay I've missed out on a year I can go back and I can continue and finish that degree so for me the risk the risk reward um was balanced towards the reward and I think that's how I approach life a lot of the time in a worst case scenario I've quit my job to start Vitae London in a worst case scenario I I really believed in myself that I could go and bank another job so if I believe I can get another job then I believe that I can invest into myself to start this business to see where it can go. Um, so that's that's how I see. It. I always try to focus on the why not, like just go for it. Why not? Because life is too short. I'd I'd rather I'd rather die empty, die knowing that I'd given this life my all, than get to the end of life and think I should have taken and think I should have taken a, a few more risks. And was there? Um any steering that came either from within yourself or family or church to sort of say 
a good idea or not because i know sometimes christians can kind of go into thus saith the lord and god's plan and <laughs> i think god says you should do this and it can be hard kind of when when people kind of bring faith into that kind of space sometimes do you remember having those sorts of conversations at all interesting i i reckon tight to faith so the predominant charity we support is called house of wells um, which started in south africa um and it was, it was starting it was started by christian leaders who had the vision to they said they saw a flame coming from the most southern part of africa working its way up and as a result they started in south africa but they also supported children across zimbabwe lesotho um, Uganda, um, starting work in Nigeria, Ghana as well. Um, so I think actually I was encouraged when I spoke to them and I heard about their journey and and the amount of times that yeah they tried to start this charity or they they were faced but faced these insurmountable hurdles but all of a sudden they were able to overcome. So I think from a, a Christian perspective and, and them speaking to me and saying the fact that you've tied this business to the kingdom means that it's never going to fail. That's That was their words to me when starting out. Um, so for me, I've always I think I've always really been encouraged, actually, from from that perspective. I've had people from outside of the Christian world that have said to me, oh, but there's X and Y, Z watch brand. Why on earth do you feel like you could come in and 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 take customers off them, if that makes sense? So. My doubts didn't actually really stem from, from my Christian faith and, and family and friends. Um, it was predominantly from, from outsiders. Yeah. So tell me um, a bit more about the genesis of this, this company, Vitae. Uh, where does where's the name come from? And also, can you take us back to the moment you perhaps had the vision for it? And, and as you say, what makes it different to, to other brands that are out there? For sure. So... The name is actually Latin, um, Vitae is Latin for life. So yeah, our whole ethos as a brand is to be the fashion brand changing lives. That's always been what we, we stand for from the very inception of the brand. Um, and yeah, it was it was formed in, in, in 2016. And yeah, the heart's always been, we sell a watch and we, and we give back. So with each watch we sell, we provide either a full set of school uniform to see a child through education for the year, or we provide a solar lamp, meaning children don't have to walk for hours or burn harmful fuels in order to in order to just study in the nighttime. Um, so, yeah, that's where it all stems from. And that's yeah, that's always been the heart of why we do what we do. Amazing. So you started this in your mid 20s. Is that right? Yeah, I was, I was 26 when we launched. 26. And um, just give me the big picture of where, where you started, I guess, from nothing to, to where you are now. Yeah, so... Yeah, I started with not much at all, had a, a few grand saving towards a house deposit. Um, I think it was around seven grand in total. Um, and now to this date, we've, yeah, we've generated over 1.1 million in revenue. Um, we've distributed over 5,000 items of uniform and, and three solar lamps to children in need. Um, yeah, and, and it's been about a six year journey. I always describe it as a beautiful struggle. Um, because there's so much beauty in building for yourself there's so much beauty in in doing what you feel like you're called to do or you're led to do but in the midst of that beauty there's always struggle there's always hard times there's times where you're questioning yourself you're questioning if you're on the right path if you're doing what you should be doing um but there's beauty even in the questioning um so yeah it's been it's been an amazing journey and I, I would say we're literally only just getting started so yeah six years in 
we've seen, as you mentioned, individuals like Richard Branson wear our watches, Pharrell Williams, uh, Michelle Williams, um, one of my favourite singers in the world, Martin Smith. So we've had, yeah, a whole host of amazing people wear, wear the products. We're now stocked in two of the largest retailers in America, um, Macy's and Nordstrom. Um, so yeah, we're really in a season of growth um, and scaling. So that's that's the journey so far. I was speaking to uh, another businessman just the other day who launched his own company. And he said, well, Sam, you know, we've we've been growing We've been stagnant, we've been declining, and that's just the last three days. Um, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Holier than thou. Radical. Delusional. Ignorant. Perfect. It's time to challenge stereotypes about Christians, and Premier Christianity is leading the way. Transform your perceptions, broaden your horizons, open your mind to wide-ranging views. Read interviews with politicians, theologians, and TV presenters. Discover the breadth of the Christian spectrum. Be provoked, react, inspired, and informed. Get the print magazine and full online access for just £4.95 a month. Subscribe today at premierchristianity.com. Premier Christianity magazine. The bigger picture difficult ups and downs let's say when you're a business owner especially when it comes to t- taking on staff or letting people go or yeah. making huge decisions is there a yep. there must have been a pressure especially especially early on um when suddenly it's like wow kind of every decision and really the whole of this business really depends on me as much as you would have felt like early on does it does it still feel like that or have you been able to to kind of uh, spread the load a little bit between the team yeah it, it still has elements of that because at the end of the day it all does fall on me um yeah there, there's a lot of responsibility but I just yeah I try to I try to enjoy that I try to I try to live in that responsibility and allow it to push me into higher heights um I, I definitely believe my, I'd be nothing today without my team so globally we've got a team of eight now in terms of the core team and then obviously freelancers and other people that we work with but a lot of the time even in recruiting that team I was specifically aiming to recruit in areas that I knew I was particularly weak in. And yeah, whether that be accounting and finance, whether that be certain areas of marketing, I'd say I'm quite strong in marketing, marketing, but there's certain areas I just don't have the expertise in, or whether that be things like operations, which again, I wouldn't say I'm the best at. So I've been very, yeah, I've made it, very key that I recruit people in areas that I particularly weak in and yeah it's helped us thrive to this day so I don't feel as much of the weight and pressure but there's still the weight and pressure in ensuring I even look after the people who help look after the business. And on the difficult days where you are feeling the pressure when things are tough what are the sorts of things you do to help alleviate that or get through do you have certain habits or things that you go to just for yourself personally to to make sure you're in a better headspace? Yeah, I think I like to share. Um, so I have certain uh, people in my life that I know I can always speak to and share, no matter how deep things are, no matter how difficult things are. Um, I think that that definitely helps me. The minute I share it, and I don't often even have to hear an answer from the person, but often once I've just shared it, I just, I don't know, I feel like the, the load is, is a bit lighter. And sometimes an, a, the smallest of outside perspective can can transform how you're feeling about that situation so for me that really helps and I often for me music uh, music and 
and just breathing like taking time out of the day to to breathe just helps me so much just to kind of recenter myself and and go again so i yeah, i just dis- i discovered this in preparing for this interview i discovered this i knew you as vitae and all things watches <laughs> i did not know that you were a musician and when i listened to the music and i genuinely loved it and what I especially appreciated was the genre of music you're making. I had never come across in my life. I can't even remember what it's called. Is it? Is it Afro House? Afro House, yeah, yeah. It yeah. is Afro yeah, House. That's perfect. that's perfect. I had no yeah. idea that Afro House, to my shame, I had no idea that genre of music existed. We live and well, learn. I, honestly, I, I'm honestly not just saying this, but I heard it. I thought, this is brilliant. Um, so, yeah, we'll talk about music in a moment. But just, just yeah. before we get there, just sticking with the business um, for a second, just just help clear up for those who don't understand is it a business making profits is it a charity funding education in parts of africa is it both how does that how does that work yeah and um, the best way to describe it would be um a, a business with social good aims or, or or social entrepreneurship would be the best way to describe it so we're definitely a business which has to prioritize the the making of profit because the making of profit keeps us alive but in prioritizing that, we ensure that we put a portion of profits aside in supporting education aims. So it do, it's different. It differs depending on the price of the product, but it works out to roughly 10% of our profits on every single product goes towards supporting these charitable aims. So yeah, we're we're for profit, but we're also for good. Is is the best way to describe that. And I suppose the question is why. I mean, you don't have to give 10% of your profits away to anyone. You could you could have a nicer car, a bigger house. You could buy another nice pair of shoes. Um, what's what's the motivation for you as a business owner to, to give profits away? Where does that come from? I think it's super layered. Um, the first layer, as mentioned earlier, is my dad's background. And going to going to various countries across Africa and just seeing, seeing the inequity um, understanding that sub-Saharan Africa is the one region in the whole world where poverty has actually increased in the past 25 years. Everywhere else in the world has decreased somewhat. So it's the only place where it's increased. And that coincides with the fact that it has the lowest amount of young people in education. So when, when you pair those two things together, it just seems like a no-brainer to try and, and tackle the inequity through providing means to, for young people to get an education. So I'll say that's the first layer of my dad's background, my history of, of being a, a young African born and raised in London um, is 100% the first layer in it. Another layer is um, working a job in the city that wasn't fulfilling me. So I was working and I, I, and I was making good money, but not having anything to really motivate and drive me and push me that's bigger than myself. And I think seeing the heart and the vision to support these young people, it just gives me motivation. Like you touched on what keeps me going in the hard times earlier. And I think a vision that's bigger than me is definitely one thing that keeps me going as well. Knowing that amazing, I've sold a watch, but I haven't just sold a watch, I've supported another child. It just gives you that one more element of drive. And then the third layer, if I'm completely honest, I think it actually makes business sense. It does make business sense to give back. Um, as, as ludicrous as that may sound, if, if we weren't giving back, to be honest, I don't think we would have had ambassadors like Richard Branson come on board, people like Pharrell Williams wear our watches. The fact that we're giving back means that we're connecting to the hearts of other people who have that heart to give back as well. And we're able to kind of flip the watch industry on its head. Um, 
all of history, you've been people of all watches a statement pieces about how much wealth they can acquire for themselves. But we've been able to provide a product that flips that on its head and you can actually have a statement piece that shows you want to give back to the world and, and give back to others. Um, so, yeah, I would say those are the th those are the three layers that kind of inform the decision as to why I do what I do. And that idea of, of giving back to others and I, I guess not being not being self-centered as we are all prone to as human beings, but of wanting to give back to others. Do you think that was do you think that's been influenced anyway by your by your Christian upbringing or your Christian faith? Um, because obviously a lot of the people we speak to for this show are running Christian charities and I appreciate Vitae isn't, well, you tell me, Vitae isn't an explicitly Christian brand as far as I can tell, you yeah. might disagree with that, but but just tell me a little bit how the, how the faith connection comes in here. I think it's been everything. Um, I think especially seeing my mum and dad growing up, two of the most selfless people I know, um, on top of obviously having the seven of us, I would say that they fathered and mothered hundreds, if not thousands of young people, seeing my dad be up to crazy hours, counseling and supporting others. So I think I've always seen that element of give back in my life growing up. And I think that's what's informed me to, to think that is the standard of living, um, is to give back, is to, is to live for something bigger than yourself and is to, is to love on others. Um, I think in doing that, you produce the best version of yourself as well. Um, so yeah, I definitely believe that upbringing has formed it for sure. Reminds me of um, of what Jesus said about if you want to find your life, you need to lose it, 100%. and that that kind of that kind of mentality, which is so countercultural, I think, in so many parts of, the, of our world today, that actually there is there is life and meaningful fullness in giving away rather than holding on to more. I mean that that is still quite countercultural in the business world, isn't it? If we're honest. Yeah, I think. I think there's more of a trend towards it that you'll see occurring in the years to come, especially the millennial and Gen Z um, generation. They want to give to brands that um, are more sustainable, that have impact at their core, where they can almost think that they can feel and touch the founders. Like there's that actual um, dialogue that's occurring. So I think, yeah, I think brands that are not thinking about giving back and are only focused on profits. I truly believe in the years to come, the trend will change and we'll see more and more businesses just organically do what we do because it, it makes sense on, on so many layers and it gives you a, a deeper drive towards that business you're building. You've mentioned him a couple of times already and I'd, I'd love to hear more about Richard Branson, who uh, I was reading became a bit of a mentor to you. He's worn your watches. He's been a support of you. So how did that connection first happen? And what's the influence that someone like him has had on your business? Yeah, so that, that first connection happened, I believe it was in year one of the business or year two. Um, it was around 2016, 2017. And um, I applied for some funding from Virgin. So I think out of 10,000 people to apply, I was one of a thousand to receive the funding. Then out of the thousands, um, they sent an email to all of us to become Virgin um, Startup Ambassadors. So we would be promoting entrepreneurship to other young people. We'd be delivering talks, et cetera. And one of the benefits of becoming an ambassador was meeting Richard Branson. Um, so they were like, yeah, just grab your phone, just record a short one minute video, send it into us and we'll select who we're gonna select. I was in South Africa at the time visiting some of the young people and we were supporting through education. 
So I actually got a videographer to take me to the top of this beautiful mountain and film me there on the mountain delivering my talk as to why I should be an ambassador. Um, and yeah, fortunately out of the 1000, we were chosen as one of 12 and that, um, to become ambassadors. And I remember going to Richard Branson's house in Oxford and hearing all the talk around about the guy that did a professional video and that because there were clips and b-roll of the children we support like it was it was a really well put together video so as a result I really stood out so all 12 of us met him that day and then I was cho chosen as one of two people to get um one-on-one -on -one mentoring with him and also um interview him in front of a live audience um and that's when the first watch exchange occurred um, because I knew he couldn't back out in front of all those people watching. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah, I brought out a watch to gift him. He, in turn, said, you should never give away your best assets, brought out a wad of cash, and then gave me his watch. Um, so, yeah, he definitely won on that battle when I thought I had one over on him. But, yeah, that's what, that's where I first got to meet Branson. And, yeah, he's given me some some phenomenal advice, which has helped me to this day. Go on, share a bit of it with us. We're all friends here. What's the <laughs> what's the life changing advice from Richard Branson that someone listening to this who's thinking, "Hey, I'd like to go into business one day." What's the sort of things you've learned from him that uh, that we can we can get a bit of wisdom um, from Richard Branson, but but what, via you? <laughs> of course, I think one of the biggest lessons I've I, I've learned from him is to own your story and to own your scars. If I'm completely transparent, when I first started Vite London. I didn't want to be the face of the brand at all. Um, maybe it's some kind of trauma from boarding school or whatever it may be, but there was just this fear that um, a, a 50 year old um, white guy from the Midlands wouldn't want to buy a watch from a 26 year old black guy from a council estate in South London. So I, I had this kind of mentality that it wasn't wise for me to be the face of the business because it could discourage sales or it could put people off, especially people that were close-minded. But after speaking to him and, and him emphasizing the power of owning your story and owning your scars, it, it, it made me kind of revolutionize the way I, I built the business. And I actually ended up putting like my story and my narrative at the forefront a lot more, especially when it came to PR. And literally straight after that, we, yeah, we had articles written up in CNN We've since been in Forbes, in BBC, I've delivered a TED talk. And that's all because of that one piece of advice he gave me. Um, so I, I think there's just so much beauty in owning your scars because you don't realise how many people are scarred the same way and how they can they can relate to you overcoming um, and standing strong um, and, yeah, be inspired by what you're doing and what you're building. Um, so I would say that's that's been my biggest lesson in in, in my conversations with him. Yeah. And um, amazing to have that kind of backing, as you say, to, to bring in bring in so much interest, I suppose, around, around the business. And and you, you mentioned some other names, Pharrell Williams um, has worn your watches. How do those sorts of things come about? Um, you know, is, is it, do you go to kind of influencers and celebrities and say, hey, here's some free watches, please wear them. Mm -hmm. Do they just come across it? How does how does that actually happen? If I'm completely honest, a lot of it is literally God. I, I wish I was this genius that could orchestrate always being in the right place and the right time. Um, and some of those relationships have come via social media, me trying to send tweets out and someone just being like, oh, this looks really cool and, and responding. So yeah, some of it has come via that. But for instance, um, for instance, Pharrell Williams, I was at an event um, in 
yeah, I was in a, at an event in in Hackney. He he came to deliver a talk. Um, I was on Twitter, and per chance, I had like a mutual friend of one of the people running the talk of the day. Um, so via some interaction on Twitter, I was able to find out what time he was leaving backstage of that event, and I was just, I was there right there to meet him. Told him about the brand, he loved it. Gifted him a watch, took an image, and that was kind of the end of it with, with Pharrell. But with other people like Romelu Lukaku, for instance, I was literally just walking around New York one day. I was with a friend and I saw him. And this was a few years ago. So before he was with Manchester United or, yeah, this was a few years back. And I forgot his name. So I think he was playing for Everton at the time. So I literally Googled strikers for Everton. His name came up. I was like, oh, yeah, that's it. Went over to him, spoke about the brand. And even to this day, we speak from time to time. Um, there's been so many occurrences where genuinely, I have not orchestrated it one bit. I've literally just been in the right place, the right time. And sometimes I just feel like there's signs from God to just keep going, um, where it's just a bit of encouragement on the journey to say, I'm with you, I've got your back. Like if you keep pushing and giving it your all, I will find ways for you to, to build this business. So. Yeah, that's how I would describe how it's, how it's gone down. This summer, it's all about three. Get three months summer subscription to Premier Christianity, the UK's leading Christian magazine. Three months of unlimited daily opinions and articles online. Three printed magazines delivered directly to your door. Three digital magazines on your device so you can read on the go. And all for just £5. That's right, just £5 for a three-month subscription only at premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. And what is the aim for the future? Because a lot of people might look at what you've achieved and say, wow, fantastic. And, you know, business people start talking about things like exit strategies where you, you know, you sell up and you move on to something else. Is that, is that your plan or do you want to take this even bigger? And what would taking this bigger actually look like? I guess my, my pure vision is to make, is to do what we have been doing, but on a much larger scale. Um, there's so many more problems to solve across Sub-Saharan Africa when it comes to education. There's so much more market share to take, to be completely honest, when it comes to watches. So what I want to do is what we've been doing, but get it to a point where we are a household name, where more and more people own the watches. We partner with more celebrities. We partner with more influencers. We see more young people getting an education. I literally just want to do what I've been doing, but on a much larger scale. So that's the vision going forward, to just continually scale, to continually build, continually inspire as well. So that more more young people start businesses that have that give back element. Um, that's that's my vision going forward. When I was reading up a bit of, about what you've done, I um I, I was aware that again in the jewelry industry, if you like, there there has been some pretty awful history that some people may not be aware of. But the phrase I came across was robbing the continent of Africa, and and this this history and there's a sense in which you're almost trying to right a wrong. Do you want to just unpack that a little bit for those who might not have heard that phrase or that idea before and exactly what has taken place in that, in that part of our world and, and how what you're doing is, is seeking to make a positive change? Yeah, there's, there's, there's so many layers to it, especially in the explo exploitation of resources across sub-Saharan Africa. So when you look at the inequity when it comes to education, there's inequity in so many other realms. Um, a lot of, Oftentimes, it, it's as if the West 
just yeah pillages Africa if, if I'm going to be completely honest so I think it's just beautiful that we've been able to create a brand that in our very small way reverses some of those effects where people people predominantly from the west from UK from America can can own and wear a product that that looks fantastic that's great quality but also know that they're giving back to the, to the region in the world where if we're going to be completely honest, the West has been able to build itself off of. If you look at even the crown jewels, um, you you go to you find the roots of a, a lot of the a lot of the materials, a lot of the diamonds, the gold, etc. There's been exploitation from from sub-Saharan Africa. So yeah, I, I think it's beautiful that we can be a jewelry brand, we can be a watch brand that seeks to do the opposite of that, that seeks to actually support and uplift sub-Saharan Africans as opposed to literally just take from them well i'll put a link uh, to your site from this uh, from this episode of the profile podcast so people can find out more about the watches and uh, and where they can get a hold of one but before we go i did promise we'd come back to this uh the new genre of music that i've discovered in recent days <laughs> afro house and um so give me my education on this because literally all that's happened was i was, was listening to some tracks that you you produced and i think are singing on and it sounds superb but just tell me a bit about how that came came about and and if, if it is possible to educate sam hales in approximately two minutes on afro house <laughs> then I'm, I'm all ears yeah so just to give you a quick background on my my musical exploits, being a pastor's son, we were forced to pick up instruments from a young age. So my first instrument was saxophone. I then went on to form a band with my brothers called Divine Impact. So yeah, we had a gospel band. That was my first kind of interaction with Premier, like over 10 years ago, coming on Premier Gospel for various different interviews and, and pushing, pushing that gospel band. Um, my brothers have gone on to form a new gospel brand and uh, called day three music now which is yeah doing amazing things but I like I I don't know I always I've always loved to in a weird way dabble in the secular I've always loved to try and be in a be a way where I can be mainstream but bring light to the mainstream that's I don't know that's always been part of my heart it's why I do business and it's what I wanted to do in music as well um, and Afro House is, is simply it's simply house music, but with more African elements and and um, Afrobeat elements as well. So, yeah, that's just the genre of music I, I fell in love with. And I just wanted to bring some some light and bring a, a new perspective to that genre. So, yeah, during the pandemic was when I started making music again after all these years, after being in the gospel group is when I, yes, yeah, when I started again. And yeah, I just wanted to create uh, songs of hope. So, yeah, one of my songs, Weather the Storm, was chosen as a, a premier gospel song of the week when it first launched. Um, and yeah, since starting music again two years ago, now amassed like over a million streams on my songs and yeah, really building a community of people around the music. So yeah, it's been, it's been a real fun journey. Let's get away.
talk about bit wanting to be a, a light in the in the kind of secular world. I, I was going to ask you about whether that has presented any kind of ethical dilemmas because one might imagine in in a world of of either music or business there might be times where you feel conflicted between your faith and what you're being asked to do in the music world or the business world is that true though is is it actually like that um if so can you share some examples and if not please uh, set us straight i think you're going to get elements of that no matter what i think you're going to get elements of people trying to get you to compromise or maybe change who you are even if you're working in Tesco or if you're like, if you're, if you're working in the local shop or if you're in the head office of that shop, or if you're in the music industry or no matter what industry, I think there's always going to be elements of, of testing of, of, of trials. And I think, yeah, I think for me, it's just always being staying true to who I am is the most important thing for me. I think the minute I compromise who I am, what I believe in, what I stand for, the minute I lose that essence I know I'm going to lose everything else I know the business won't prosper the way it's going to prosper I know I won't be the person I'm I'm called and and made to be so for me I think yeah having the right community around uh, being accountable to to others where you can share when you're going through those various different struggles has been key in enabling me to stay true to who I am in in an industry that may maybe want me to be something else Great advice. William Adawasi, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed chatting. Thanks for having me, Sam. Really appreciate it. You're listening to The Profile. Well, there you have it. That was my conversation with William Adawasi. Thank you so much for joining us here on Premier Christian Radio to hear that conversation. I hope it inspired you to hear all that William is up to and how his faith is motivating him to make a huge difference in the lives of children in sub-Saharan Africa. If you want to find out more about William's story, you can do so at premierchristianity.com because we published this interview there in written form. And while you're there, why not check out our fantastic subscription offers, meaning you can get the next three issues of the UK's leading Christian magazine for just £5. That gets you the print magazine direct to your door, and it gets you full online access, just £5 for three months. PremierChristianity.com is the place to go to grab that special limited offer while you can. And if you've missed any part of this interview and want to check it out, the best way to do that is to download The Profile Podcast. If you download The Profile Podcast, you can just search for The Profile wherever you normally get your podcasts from, or you can head to premierchristianradio.com. Once you've got that podcast, you'll better access the back catalogue of hundreds of different interviews that we've done with leading Christians from all walks of life, including this one you've just been hearing with William Adoasi. It's all available for free on the profile well we have reached the end of the show all that's left for me to do is to say a massive thank you for joining us and say have a fantastic rest of your weekend we'll see you next time you've been listening to the profile in association with premier christianity magazine